What's up, guys? Welcome to the first edition of the 40 Minutes of Hell podcast here on WFUV Sports, our college hoops podcast. Getting it off the ground, Jackson Isle. A pleasure to be joined by Ryan Gregware. Ryan, before we get into it, it's a pleasure to be with you, as always, and I'm really excited to get this thing going. It's, it's March. It's the best time of the year, and for the first time in two years, we got a bracket, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really glad we could get this going. I mean, as you just said, March is the best time of year. I've had the CBS music stuck in my head for the last few <laughs> weeks, playing One Shining Moments, number one song on my playlist right now. So I'm ready to get into it. It really is the best time. And after getting robbed last year, this year is extra special to me. But before we get into it all, obviously, this is a new podcast. So 40 Minutes of Hell, the name, for those who don't know, based off the great Nolan Richardson um, his play style at the University of Arkansas when they won a national championship. It's one of my favorite coaches, and it's one of my favorite terms in all of college sports because I think it's a real testament to what Nolan Richardson bought, brought to the game of college basketball. And obviously his impact on the game is everlasting. As us being New York guys, we see Mike Anderson carry his legacy um, into – St. John's and what they're doing. So figured it was a fitting name. Um, so that's the little quick backstory behind the name. So this is the 40 Minutes of Hella podcast. We'll be back every week during the NCAA tournament, breaking down what's happened each week. But as of now, we have a bracket, and that's the most important thing. But before quickly, I wanted to get into that. Championship weekend was awesome, first of all. I mean, there were plenty of upsets in mid-major conferences throughout the country. I mean, just looking around, I mean, the CAA had an eight seed versus six seed in the championship. Drexel ended up topping Elon, so that was fascinating. And then, of course, to close it all out, maybe the best game of the year so far in Illinois, Ohio State, in the Big Ten championship game on Sunday, which pushed the selection show back 10 minutes, yeah. of course, after having to wait two years for it. But um, championship weekend was terrific, uh, and it was a perfect segue into what is now the NCAA tournament week, and everything kicks off on Thursday with the first four, uh, the last four teams in, Drake, Wichita State will play, the winner meets USC, and then two Blue Bloods, Michigan State and UCLA, battling it out in the first four, two teams kind of trending in the opposite direction, UCLA losing their last four games heading into the NCAA tournament. Michigan State kind of reviving their resume with three top ten wins at home in the last few weeks of the season. But I'm just excited to look at a bracket, honestly. Like, before even filling out, I was listening to Big Cat talk about this um, on part of my take earlier this week. And just looking at a blank bracket is awesome. And I, I that's, like, probably – the one thing that I really missed about last year was not even being able to fill one out, even though we knew we weren't going to get the games. But to me, that's been the best part of this whole thing is just being able to look at a bracket. And it's one of America's pastimes, honestly, is March Madness, being able to look at a bracket, fill it out. So I'm just happy to have that back, Ryan. No, yeah, for sure. Like literally the second they come out, you know, I print it out. I fill it out manually, old school. And I just kind of hold it. I put it on my wall. I look at it. I'm looking at it now. Um, it's a special feeling, you know, watching the selection show, watching all the teams celebrate. And, yeah, just having the bracket, you know, when it's blank at the start, you just kind of go at it and see what happens. There's nothing like it. So let's break it down. And we're going to do this region by region. We'll have our final four picks and national championship picks at the end. We'll also have our best bets from the first round games as well as some future bets that me and Ryan both took a look at and like. But we're going to do this region by region. Obviously, the four number one seeds, Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois, and Michigan. We'll start in the West region, and that is the Gonzaga region. And top four seeds, Gonzaga, Iowa, Kansas, and then Virginia. This is an interesting region to me, not because it will be all that interesting, to be honest with you, Ryan. I, I think that you look at – the way this thing breaks down and Gonzaga has a cakewalk to the final four, in my opinion. I mean, they've beaten each of the top three other seeds. I mean, they blew out Iowa. They stomped on Kansas to open up their season. And then also Virginia 
that Virginia game was one of the more dominant performances in college basketball we've seen this year. I mean, Corey Kispert couldn't miss from behind the arc. But they're the only team that can say that they've beaten each of the three best remaining seeds outside of them in their region. And that's not to say that we should put too much stock into what happened so early on in the season because a lot of these teams are different. Um, I think Kansas has gotten markedly better since that game. Um, Virginia, I think, figured something out in ACC play, but they're going through COVID issues themselves. And then Iowa's a very interesting case to me. We'll talk about it all. But my opening takeaway from this, Ryan, is that I don't see a team that can beat Gonzaga in this region. I don't see a team in the country, really, other than maybe one or two that can beat Gonzaga. But to me, the way this is setting up is – People talked about Gonzaga all year not being challenged. Personally, I don't really see them getting challenged all that much in their own region before they really get to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, the thing that everyone always goes back to with Gonzaga is like, oh, then the WCC, you know, they're playing cupcakes. They'll get bounced early. But you mentioned that they beat every the top three other seeds in their region. And every other team they played this year, they, they beat by double digits. So the whole year was kind of Gonzaga-Baylor. Gonzaga kind of separated once Baylor had to deal with some COVID things. And it's been Gonzaga versus the field for a while now. And you really have to dig to try to find a reason why it wouldn't be a cakewalk, right? I mean, you said it. I don't, I don't want to just agree with you on everything here, but it's like they're so good. They're so talented. And I think what separates this Gonzaga team from previous teams is Suggs and the fact that, you know, he's a true freshman kind of superstar, top five pick. I don't know if they've really had that. And when you look at this region, I don't see them getting challenged either. I like, you know, they match up well against these other teams. They beat them. UVA, you said, did figure something out late in the season, but they're dealing with issues. Uh, so when I look at it right now, it was the easiest thing I filled out in my bracket was clicking Gonzaga a few times, get them in the Final Four. You know, we'll go more into depth after that, what we think past that. But I don't really see a way that Gonzaga can fall here and I think Mark Few is going to get his team to the Final Four. I, I do, too. And I, I think that if there's one team that may challenge them, I think the team that's best built for it is Creighton because they're a team that can match Gonzaga's pace in a way that I don't think any other team in this region really can. And that's not to say Iowa can't because they're a team that loves to play high tempo. They're a team that can really score the basketball. But at the same time, they don't have any athletes who can – guard anyone on Gonzaga for 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 Creighton I think their ability to make shots from the perimeter I mean I love Marcus Zagorowski Mitch Ballack can make shots Denzel Mahoney I think is one of the most underrated players in the country but they're going through some stuff themselves right now obviously with the distractions surrounding them involving what Greg McDermott said about I'm not going to drop it here but he said the p-word um in the locker room after a loss that is kind of spiraled a little bit and they got their doors blown off by Georgetown in the Big East tournament championship game. So I I think they're probably going to get to the sweet 16. I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga, but I do think they're the toughest matchup for Gonzaga. But I was interesting to me because I've been like in and out on them throughout this year. Um, They can obviously score. I mean, Luca Garza is the national player of the year pretty unanimously, I think right now. Um, Maybe I would assume who's got an option. Drew Timmy could be there as well, but, this team can't guard anyone, um, despite their ability to get up and down and really score the basketball. I, I don't think they have the athletes to compete with Gonzaga. I don't even think they're going to get to the Elite Eight, personally, because I think whoever wins the matchup of VCU-Oregon is going to beat them because of their style. They can press you. They are, have a lot of really good athletes on the perimeter that can guard and make life difficult for Iowa, but... I don't know. I, I just am not buying this Iowa team. I, I did early in the year. I had placed a future on them at plus uh, 2,000 before the season even started. But their inability to guard has really kind of made me sour on them. And I think they're probably the most vulnerable two-seed right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, like, the thing with Iowa where you can defend them is how, how they can score so easily. But Gonzaga is just a better version of them, plus they can play defense. So, like, even if they can get – to an elite eight versus Gonzaga. I don't know if they can go up and down the court with them and score, you know, they're, they're, I think they're top 10, they score 84 a game. Gonzaga is 92 a game. So like, even if they can beat Kansas, which I think we both don't really see happening, you know, Kansas is dealing with some issues 
We'll get into that in a second. Um, even if they can beat Oregon, which we'll also talk about in a second. You know, mm-hmm. Oregon VCU is an interesting 7-10 game here. I don't know. You know, it's Luca Garza's last shot. He's been an awesome player. But I don't really think this team, as you said, has the athletes to get far in the tournament, you know, win consecutive games. And it is unfortunate because they're an awesome group of guys. Jordan Bohannon's a great kid. Um, but I don't really see it for Iowa this year. And they have some guys. I mean, like C.J. Frederick, yeah. I really like. Joe Wieskamp is really, really talented. And he's probably their, their X factor for me because he's the one guy that can really – yeah, and he's the – Frederick can really shoot the ball, but Wieskamp's the guy that, like, he's the only guy that can really create his own shot on the perimeter in terms of guard play. So, that for that reason, I'm out on Iowa. Um, but like I said, like, I could see VCU beating them. I can see Oregon beating them. That Oregon-VCU game is fascinating to me because two really good coaches, Mike Rhodes, Dana Altman, um, Oregon's playing their best ball since they got Will Richardson back. They have a ton of athletes. Obviously, Chris Duarte is having an awesome year and is an All-American. But I could see this VCU team beating them because they're one team similar to what I said about Creighton and Gonzaga. VCU matches their pace for a lot of reasons. And Bones Highland is having an awesome year. He's going to be an NBA talent. Um He's a guy that can really break down teams and score on his own. And even though VCU offensively hasn't been great this year, I don't think they're going to need to be against Oregon because of their defense. Mike Rhodes has done a terrific job with this team. They have some really good athletes on the perimeter. They don't really have to play through the post, which I think is big against Oregon, even though I really like Eugene Omarui, uh, the transfer from Rutgers, who has had a great year. But I think whoever wins that game, is going to the Sweet 16. And honestly, depending on Kansas's issues, I think Kansas is the clear-cut favorite to get to the Elite Eight from the bottom portion of this region. But like we mentioned, they're having COVID issues themselves. We were talking about before how Jalen Wilson won't play against Eastern Washington. David McCormick was out in the Big 12 tournament. So if issues continue to rise for the Jayhawks, I could see either one of those teams getting to the Elite Eight and challenging Gonzaga. Yeah, you talk about Oregon, and I feel like, you know, going on to the seeding for a second, I think they maybe got a short end here with the seven seed. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the, they lost to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament. I think that's that was a sour taste that left on everyone's mouth. You mentioned when Will Richardson came back. Uh, they won 10 of 12 with him. They kind of look like a new team. So as a seven seed, I don't know. Like, I, like I'd take them over USC. I think they're better than them. And you mentioned VCU's defense. That's going to be a great game. They're fourth in steals fifth in blocks in the nation. So I do see the winner of that game also uh, going on to beat Iowa. I think it's going to be Oregon. I could even see Oregon going on to beat Kansas, depending on what happens there with Jalen Wilson. Will they get everyone back? So Oregon is definitely a team that I'd watch out for in this region to maybe maybe get to that Elite Eight versus Gonzaga. I don't know. I wish Kansas was healthy right now because yeah. they're a team that I think could be a really interesting matchup for Gonzaga because they have – the guy in the post who can really take away Drew Timmy and David McCormick, who has been awesome in the second half of the season. Bill Self has changed the defensive structure of Kansas. They are now downing ball screens all the time. They're forcing guys to the wings and really taking away the middle of the floor, which is what was giving them a lot of problems pretty much in the middle of January. And it's been a great switch for them. Obviously they beat Baylor at home. They're the first team to do that. So um, I think if this team is healthy, that I don't think they're going to beat Gonzaga, but I think they're pretty clearly going to breeze through to the Sweet 16, just because I, obviously we don't buy Iowa. Um, but quickly on the top half of this bracket, I, I know you wanted to talk about Virginia. They're interesting because they're dealing with a ton of COVID issues, and they're not even getting to Indianapolis until Thursday and then have to play Ohio, who's been terrific on Friday. What do you see in that matchup? Yeah, so I think we could be looking at an upset here, a little 13-4 upset. And you talk about the COVID thing. Um, Obviously, this year is unique to any year. But with, you know, a majority of their guys are in quarantine. As you said, they won't travel till Thursday. And I think if you honestly just put that to side, I think this is still a bad matchup for them. UVA all year, I haven't really bought. Like, they're most they, – they, they beat up on the middle of the pack in a weak ACC. Uh, they had wins over UNC Clemson, and those are really their best wins of the year. But this Ohio team, you know, they're hot. They've won 9 of 10. Uh, Jason Preston is like a star point guard for them. So they have some star power. 
29th in the country in offense. And if they go fast tempo, we all know UVA plays the slowest tempo in basketball. That could cause some issues to them, especially with the rust that they'll have coming out of quarantine and COVID and all that. I, you know, I think they will play. I hope they play. They play with only five guys. Like if it comes down to it, we'll see if anyone else has positive. But I think that is what could be the upset of the region here. Uh, we'll get into bets a little later. But I think UVA here is in some trouble with Ohio. Even if they get past them, I don't see them beating a Creighton out of that um, round of 32. So UVA, obviously, they won the last national championship, right? They cut down the nets. But I don't think we're going to see a repeat of that this year. I don't think they're as talented. And I'm not really buying them overall. I do wish we could have saw them go up against FSU again in the uh, ACC tournament. But obviously, things happen and they had to back out. But yeah, UVA is not a team I'm sold on at all. I'm with you. It's weird because, like, from an efficiency standpoint, like, they can score. Like, I, I like what Jay Huff has done this year. Sam Hauser's a good player, too. Like, they can, they can make threes. Like, it's, it's kind of your traditional Virginia team, to be honest. Like, Kihei Clark is weird. But um, I'm with you. I, I think that this, like, having to deal with this right now, is brutal. Like there's no other way to put it. Um, so uh, for that reason, I'm out on Virginia. I could see UC Santa Barbara beating Creighton too. Um, as much as I like the Blue Jays, I mean the Gauchos have had a terrific year. They're 22 and four. They've only lost once, I think, since. Oh man, when was it? I think maybe since the start of the new year, they've only lost once. So they're a team that could give Creighton some trouble. But I'm not going to go there. But overall, I think we're in the same boat here. Um, I think Gonzaga is going to the Final Four pretty easily, but. One team I just want to shout out. I want to shout out the Drake Bulldogs for making it oh. to the NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, they were undefeated against the spread for, like, really the first half of the season, which is pretty impressive. And they get to match up with Wichita State. They're getting their leading scorer back in Shaquan Hemphill. So that's exciting. Unfortunately, Roman Quinn is out for the rest of the year. But I think they beat Wichita State. I think they're going to give USC a challenge, um, especially if they can take away Evan Mobley inside. But – um, I think that they're going to challenge USA. So moving on to the South region, um, some interesting matchups here. Uh, this is obviously the Baylor region. So Baylor, uh, Ohio State, the two seed. Arkansas, an interesting three seed with the way they finished the year under Eric Musselman. And then Purdue is the four seed. To me, this region comes down to, I think there are some tough matchups for Baylor in this region. Um, I think UNC is very interesting for them in a potential second round matchup because of their size and their front court um, and the way they can rebound because Baylor really likes to play four guards a lot. Um, we'll see them go with Meyer and Chamo Chachua. We'll see them play Flo Thamba with Chamo Chachua and Matthew Meyer on the floor at the same time too. But to me, I don't really see a, a – matchup where someone can beat Baylor besides Ohio State because of what they can do scoring the ball on the perimeter but I have significant questions about Ohio State too especially with their inability to guard so to me my that's my overarching thought on this region Ryan I want to get your thoughts in a second but overall to me this is Baylor's region to lose and I think a lot of people are overreacting a little bit to the way they finished the season coming off of the COVID protocols. Well, I was about to get into that because I think they probably have the second best big three in this tournament to Gonzaga with Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and uh, Macy Teague. But the COVID thing, like, it's something that I have to bring up because since the pause, I just – I haven't been really that impressed. Uh, they lost to Kansas. They lost to OK State. They played K-State and Iowa State down to the wire. Like, Iowa State was tied with them with two minutes left. They didn't get a win in the Big 12 this year. And, like, I don't know if it's just the recency bias in my head. Obviously, they were so dominant in the first half of the year. But it's something that, you know, it's, it's on the back of my mind. I can't really shake it. And Scott Drew's done a phenomenal job, obviously. And I still like him to get far here. Uh, you talked about how you could see Ohio State beat them. Right now, I think that that is where it's going. I've been really impressed with how they played in the Big Ten tournament after, you know, they had four straight regular season losses to end this year. I was really down on them. Uh, they, they stuck with that two seed. They had a nice win against Michigan. They took Illinois to overtime. So that is one 
you know, interesting matchup if they can both get there. I think Arkansas is also a tough matchup for Ohio State. And those teams obviously will play before Baylor gets a crack at them. But I don't know. I mean, you, th- you said you think I'm overreacting to how they've looked post-COVID. And maybe I am. But if they come out and they come out guns and blazing and kill Harvard and knock him out of the building, maybe I'll, you know, turn the cheek and be like, okay, like they're fully back. But until I see that, I do have some reservations if they can get back to what they were. I, I get the concerns about them. I mean, they looked unstoppable prior to the COVID yeah. pause. I mean, right before they went into it, they dominated Texas on the road, which was a really impressive one at the time. I mean, Davion Mitchell shot the lights out. But to me, I, I think this team is just too good of a shooting team to lose. I mean, when was the last time you saw a team shoot 42% from three throughout the entire year? Like, did there are teams that have bad shooting nights, yeah. but this team usually can't have a bad shooting night because just structurally they have so many guys who shoot the ball well. I mean, Jared Butler's over 40%. Um, Maceo T made 10 threes in a game this year. I love Davion Mitchell. I think probably one of the most underrated players in the country is Adam Flagler with what he's done off the bench, the transfer from Presbyterian. He's had an awesome year, and he's shot the lights. I mean – I think he's shooting like 39% from three, two. So they have a ton of guys who can make shots. And, and I think that's probably one of the most important things. Their defense has been the part where I've been a little concerned with since the pause. Um, and I think part of the reason that they've struggled is that, listen, the Big 12 is loaded. Like, there's no question about it. I mean, and they still ended up finishing 13-1 and in the Big 12 and lost to a really hot Oklahoma State team in the Big 12 tournament against Kate Cunningham. So – um, I, I think honestly, it was. I, I just I'm not even referring to you specifically. I'm just I just think people in general are overreacting to Baylor because there was a conversation in the beginning of February that I think it was Gonzaga and Baylor and everyone else, and I still truly believe that. And I think they were deserving of the number two overall seed. Um, but let, let's talk about the rest of this region for a little bit. Um, first round matchups. Colgate, Arkansas is probably the most intriguing one because two teams that play very similar styles. They run up and down. They score the ball with incredible efficiency. Um, Colgate has shooters upon shooters, which makes this a tough matchup for Arkansas. But I I think a little too many people are sold on Colgate to beat Arkansas personally just because um, of what they've done. Yeah, no, and I I agree. I mean, like, I think they're vulnerable. but, like, people look at the analytics. Colgate's, like, they're top ten in the net, but they didn't play a single team outside of the Patriot League. And oh, yeah, I'm not saying they can't score. I think they're going to give Arkansas a good run for their money. But um, the Razorbacks have been playing great basketball lately. Um, defensively, they've been a lot better than what I was expecting. And so I think Arkansas is going to come out on top. But I, this bottom half of the region is really interesting, Ryan. I'll send it over to you in a sec. Ohio State – is a team I'm not buying entirely, despite the way they've played in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, this team can't really guard anyone. They're 80th in defensive efficiency um, this year. Uh, the rest of Arkansas, I think, is good. My sleeper is Texas Tech in this region. I think they're going to go to the Elite Eight, personally. Um, they're one of the only teams in the bottom half of this region that plays really good defense. And despite a tough first-round matchup with Utah State, I think this is a team that can go – to the Elite Eight, and I think they're probably the biggest challenger to Baylor in this region. Yeah, I mean, Chris Beard is a guy who, like, they've been just a great tournament team. Obviously, went to the Elite Eight a few years ago. They went to the – they were shot away from winning a national championship. And I was going to ask you about Texas Tech because I know you're high on them, but I was kind of concerned with how they finished the year, like kind of inconsistent. They, like – they really lost to kind of every – good team they played down the stretch and then they had like a sandwich 3-0 win streak against kind of the bottom of the big 12 so do you think that like do you, do you are you worried about the inconsistency because I was kind of concerned like can they get to the elite eight with how they've been kind of trending going into this thing I mean I'm, I'm not too concerned to be honest I mean I think it's important to to note that they've lost a lot of close games this year like yeah you look at um, they've lost two overtime games to Oklahoma State. They lost by one to Texas in the Big 12 tournament. Like, I just they, – they've had some really, really tough losses. I mean, they, they should, probably should be Baylor at home the first time around, too. They lost by one at Kansas at home. Um, West Virginia, Deuce McBride hits a crazy shot to beat them. Like, 
they, they've had a lot of really tough losses, and I, I think they've gotten better because of that. Um, so for that reason, I'm not too worried. I just I love the way this team plays defense, and I think they're one of the only teams in this bottom half of the bracket that really defends. I mean, they really keep you out of the paint. Um, they have a closer in Mac McClung. I love Terrence Shannon Jr. and what he's been able to do this year as a sophomore. And they're just – they're balanced. Like, even though McClung has been the main guy for them, I, I think what they have this year that they may have not had, even with um, that team that went to the national championship, and they were really good. I mean, Mooney was awesome that year. I love Tariq Owens and the way he protected the paint for them. Um, and along – I'm trying to remember. Derek Culver? Well, Culver, Culver was the main guy. He was awesome. Um that that shooter, I'm I'm forgetting his name, but um, point aside, um, I just love the way that this team is built to score and play in March. Even though, like, they really struggled in the Big Twelve down the stretch, and it was uh, Moretti. That's who I was trying to think of. Um, but oh, yeah, but I don't know. I just there's something about Chris Beard teams that he gets the most out of them, and he gets them ready to play in March. And it, it's it's kind of a cliche, but to me it kind of isn't, to be honest, because he gets his teams playing the best when things matter the most. And I think that even though they've had their struggles down the stretch, I think a lot of these losses have been close losses and a product of having to play the Big 12. And I think they're a tough matchup for Ohio State because they can really guard the perimeter. I think they're a tough matchup for Arkansas because – Texas Tech can really dictate pace and slow the game down against Arkansas. I think if they get past Utah State, I think they're going to the Elite Eight personally. I don't think they're going to beat Baylor, but I think they're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, you sold me a little bit there. I think Utah State, like, that is a matchup that a lot of people are looking at Mm -hmm. uh, because of the inconsistency of Texas Tech. If they do get by them, they could totally make a run, and that would be some run if they could beat Ohio State and Arkansas on the way there. Chris Beard is obviously a phenomenal coach. That's the one thing where, like, you always just go back to. If you have him coaching, you're going to make noise in the tournament. Uh, One other thing I wanted to note in this region, you know, every year always there's classic 12-5 upsets. And I look at this Winthrop-Nova one, and I can't help but, you know, pick Winthrop in this one with how Nova's looked. Uh, Obviously, Connor Gillespie, their senior, he's out for the year. And, um, you know, they ended the season with a – a close loss to Providence. They came back from a huge deficit, and then they lost to Georgetown in the um, Big East tournament. And you know, you look at this Winthrop team, twenty-three and one. Only the one loss all year is by two points. They're thirtieth in scoring. Is that crazy here for me to think? You know that Nova won't be able to keep up with Winthrop in in scoring and kind of, you know, there's going to be twelve five upsets, right? And so this is kind of one that I'm looking at with a hot Winthrop team. Nova is definitely on the downward trend, getting hampered by injuries. Um, you know, I kind of like Winthrop here to maybe upset Nova. I, I don't think it's crazy at all. I mean, you look at Villanova without Colin Gillespie, and the games they lost during the regular season with him, um, St. John's, for example, early in the year against Virginia Tech. If, if you take Gillespie out of the game, like, you can win. And, and that was a pretty clear sign because I just don't think Villanova has a lot of alpha dogs, personally. And that's not a bad thing, per se. Like, I love Jeremiah Robinson as a player. I think Justin Moore is good. But they're not guys who can really get a team into their offense. And a lot of the brunt is going to fall on those guys to create their own shots when Villanova has just been so reliant on the three-point ball and so reliant on getting into their transition sets, which is basically entirely on the shoulders of Colin Gillespie, who I thought was the best player in the Big East this year alongside Sandrew Mamakelishvili. So losing him is just is miserable because I think they were a team that was a little overrated to begin with because they really don't play much defense. And this is a Winthrop team that was one possession away from entering the tournament undefeated, too. So like, um, I, I like Winthrop. I think this is a good matchup for them. And I think Nova got overseeded a little bit because of the Gillespie injury, which isn't anyone's fault it just happened at a really unfortunate time so um I I like I like Winthrop to get by them I think Nova is better than I'm making them out to be and maybe we're both making them out to be but Winthrop's a good team and and they're gonna play them tough um 
Just looking at some other matches, like UNC Wisconsin's a weird one because I don't buy Wisconsin for a second. Um, the analytics love them. I mean, they're top 10 in Kempom somehow still. They really defend their experience. But other than Demetrius Trice, they don't have anyone who can create their own shot. And I really like the way this UNC team has been playing recently. So I think that's going to be a popular pick. Um, Purdue, I like a lot. They were one of my favorite teams in the regular season. I love Travion Williams. I love what he can do. But I don't see them getting past Baylor. But my overarching theme for this one, like I mentioned earlier, is I just think Baylor is too good right now to be beaten and despite the fact that they've kind of hit a road bump um coming out of this COVID pause I don't see anyone topping them and we clearly disagree on that because you have Ohio State going to the final four and I like this Ohio State team but at the same time they don't have the qualities of what it takes to win in March in my opinion just the way they're built in my opinion at least I I see differing opinions there and the way they can score is very interesting but they can't guard anyone, and to me, that- I was just really impressed too with like how they how they were able to battle versus Illinois because it looked like they were going to yeah. blow them out of the building, and they were able to kind of shoot their way back in. So, yeah, we'll see there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, like it is interesting because I don't necessarily have like a ton of faith in them, but it's also it's March. Like, it doesn't really matter how much yeah. one guy just gets hot. You know, anything could happen. Dwayne Washington's awesome. I love that kid. Yeah. He's one of the most fearless scorers in the entire country. So, um, for that reason, I do like Ohio State. And E.J. Liddell can play. He's one of the most unique bigs in the country. But I, I just – it's you're, it's literally the opposite of what you expect from a Chris Holtman coach team. You expect them to defend, and you say, can we get enough offense? This Ohio State team is, can they guard anyone? And, and that's the biggest question. They honestly – it's very similar – to how Iowa is built for me. They're just a more athletic version of Iowa in terms of they can score, they can run, but I don't think they can stop anyone in the half court. So that's our take on the South region. Um, Let's move on to the Midwest. This is the Illinois region. This is the toughest region to predict, in my opinion, by a mile, despite the way Illinois has played. You got Illinois as a one seed, Houston as a two, West Virginia three, Oklahoma State as a four, I mean, this is as brutal a shakeout as Illinois could have gotten, and they end up being the third overall seed. But they have – to me, I look at this region and I see four to five teams that can make the Final Four and that are good enough to make the Final Four. Illinois being one of them, obviously with the way they've played, I would assume in Kofi Coburn have become arguably the best duo in college basketball. Uh Houston, I love. I'm a huge fan of what Calvin Sampson has done there. Quentin Grimes, one of the most underrated players in the country. West Virginia, it's not your typical Bob Huggins team, but this team can score. They have one of the best closers in college basketball on Deuce McBride. And then San Diego State, Brian Dutcher doing a great job again with Matt Mitchell leading the way. They've won 13 or 14 in a row going into this tournament. And then, obviously, Oklahoma State, who just lost a heartbreaker in the Big 12 championship game. So, I, I could see all of those teams making the Final Four, realistically. And then Illinois, on top of this, they're going to have to play either Loyola Chicago or Georgia Tech in the second Maybe. round, which is just a brutal matchup because Loyola Chicago is a top-10 net team. They have one of the Player of the Year candidates in Cameron Crutwig. I think Georgia Tech is criminally underseeded with the way they finished the year. Jose Alvarado is awesome. Moses Wright is terrific, ACC Player of the Year. And I think both of those teams are going to give Illinois a tough draw. And you look at the path for them, that's what makes me a little nervous because you have to play one of those two teams, probably going to have to play Oklahoma State, and then either a Houston or West Virginia team who are both really good. It's hard to win that many difficult games to get – to the final four itself. And I I question what Brad Underwood does late in games in terms of coaching style. And for that reason, I'm I'm a little sour on Illinois, despite the way they've played over this last month. Yeah. Here's the thing I'll say that gives me more hope for Illinois is because they are battle tested being in the big 10. So like they've, they've played, you know, top teams all year long. And I do agree, like, the 8-9, that's going to be brutal, whoever they play. I feel like that's maybe the worst draw for an 8-9 for any one seed. 
And then Oklahoma State in the second round, we're assuming, you know, we'll see what happens there. That's a brutal draw too. But I think, like, if you look at this Illinois team, if Andre Corbello is able to play like he did against Ohio State, you know, he had some huge shots down the stretch. He's kind of an X factor because you brought up Kofi and Io, and I think that is, like you said, arguably, I don't really know how you could argue. Like, I feel like that's just the best duo in college basketball. Even when Io went down, uh, Kofi stepped up and they didn't really miss a beat. And they started this year nine and five. And I remember, you know, they had a ton of high hopes earlier in the year, dropped some weird games here and there. And since then, I feel like they've kind of figured it out. Brad Underwood's found his groove. They're 14 and one to end the year. Obviously, won the, they won the Big Ten, which was the best conference this year. So I do think, like, they are peaking at the right time, like, when you look at it, because they don't really have an easy matchup outside of, I mean, direct, like, it's a 16 seed, so whatever there. But I do think, like, when you look at a team like Michigan, another one seed, like, they, are, they aren't really going in on their best foot, and I think Illinois is. Mm-hmm. So I think they will have a shot to get there. Obviously, they're experienced. And I think this is, the, like, their best shots in so five. Obviously, it's their best team. And, um, yeah, so I think I do like them coming out of this region. But as you said, it's going to be tough. Uh, I, could, I could see Oklahoma State shocking them in the Sweet 16. So it won't be an easy task. But I do like Illinois. I think uh, the resume speaks for itself. Yeah, they're obviously probably the second best team in the country in terms of the way they're playing right yeah. now. Um, I'm not calling them the second best team in the country in general because I have Baylor there. But in terms of the way they've played down the stretch, I mean, they've lost one game since January 16th. So that says a lot. My, my one thing with them is I think that there's a, there's a blueprint to beat them. And it's pretty clear by the way – not by the way they've been beaten, but the teams that have beaten them. I think you have to play small against them and drag Coke and Coburn out on ball screens specifically. And because I, I think you have to sacrifice the fact that you're going to get beaten on the interior by Coburn because right. he's probably the most improved player over the course of the season for me in the entire country. Like he's, he's pretty clearly solidified himself as like a top five player in the nation in terms of dominance. And I think you have to give up on the fact that you can play him one-on-one because I don't think you can with his strength and his athleticism on the inside. I think you have to play small. I think you have to double the post every time he catches. I think you have to have five players on the court at all times that can switch ball screens against them because that at least gives you a chance to help from different spots against Io DeSumo and guys like Andre Corbell. And Illinois is much more than those two, too, like you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Corbello's had a great year. Trent Frazier is like the great. ultimate glue guy. I love what he can do from the perimeter. Yeah. Adam Miller, I think, is going to be really good over the next few years. Um, he's a freshman, but he's had a great year, too. Grandison can play. Like, th- this team is more than those two specifically, and I have to admire what Brad Underwood has done because they figured something out, and I wasn't sold that he could do that as a coach. But you look at the teams that have beaten them this year. Baylor, obviously, early in the year, a team that plays small. Missouri doesn't have a true big. Rutgers is really the only team – that has beaten them that plays with the true big on the floor a lot in miles Johnson, but they're a team that has, they play a lot of four guard sets. They can switch one through four for the most part. And honestly, they'll switch miles Johnson a lot, but Maryland, a team that is criminally small, beat them on their home floor. Ohio state is small for the most part in that their bigs are EJ Liddell and, and Kyle young, you guys who aren't your prototypical big guys inside. And then most recently Michigan state, who doesn't have a true big man this year as well. So I I think the formula is to go small against them. And for that reason, I look at this region and I see teams that are built to beat them. One being Oklahoma State, who with the development of Caleb Boone, Avery Anderson and his emergence to go along with what Kate Cunningham has done, I think they are perfectly built to beat Illinois. I I don't know if they are, but they're built to do it. Houston, I think, is the toughest matchup for them because they can slow down the pace of the game. They can really have – they really have guys that can guard Io DeSumo, and they also can play small, but they also rebound the crap out of the ball too, which is why I have them going to the Final Four. I'll give that away right now. I mean, I love this Houston team. Um, Marcus Sasser has had an awesome year along with Quentin Grimes. Even though I wish they still had Caleb Mills, um, 
I would like to see them see what they could have done if he was there. I still see them as the best team um, in this region. And I think they're built to beat Illinois because they can play big, but they can also play small. And while they're small, they can still rebound. And I think that's really important against Illinois. Yeah, I mean, even with losing them, you're like, oh, I wish I could have seen what they could have done. They went 24-3. and Like, this Mm -hmm. is still a really good Houston team. And uh, just switching back to Oklahoma State for a second, because I feel like there's kind of a narrative, or I don't know about narrative out there, but there's like a perception that it's just Cade Cunningham. And I just think that's like furthest thing from the truth, similar to how we talked about Illinois in a two-man show. This is not a one-man show, right? We saw Cade Cunningham. He was out against that game versus West Virginia. Avery Anderson dropped 31, stepped up. You mentioned Caleb Boone. And I do think, you know, when you talk about the size difference, I do think that's interesting matchup versus Illinois. I feel like that's a matchup everyone is rooting for in the Sweet 16, right? We want to see Caleb Cunningham in the dance for as long as possible because he's just electric. And that the way that they're playing, I was kind of surprised that they got the four seed. Uh, We talked about this pre-show. Like, they beat West Virginia two times to close out the year, and West Virginia still gets the three seed over him. They beat Baylor. They got to the Big 12 championship game. And so that was something I thought was really interesting when you're talking about seeding. Like, I, I was pretty surprised. There was talks, Jackson, that they were going to be a two if yeah. they were able to beat Texas. And to fall to a four and then to have this draw, I thought was brutal for them because I would have liked to see Cade Cunningham play as long as he could and see that team in the tournament for a long time. But one of them's going to have to go kind of early. And so, yeah, I, was, I really like Oklahoma State. And they definitely are battle-tested, just like Illinois. And they're definitely a team to watch out for. They're not a normal four. They can hang with anyone. You're certainly right. And um, I think this region is going to be really interesting to watch play out in general. It's probably my, my favorite region because I think every game, especially in the second round, is going to be a war going forward. And if there's one upset, I, I don't like Tennessee. Um, they're, they got two really good players in Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. But – they this team really struggles to score the basketball. So for that reason, I'm out on Tennessee, and I can really see them getting beat by Oklahoma, uh, not Oklahoma State, Oregon State in the first round, the winners of the Pac-12. As crazy as it sounds, I can also see Oklahoma State getting beaten by Liberty. They're a team that's won a tournament game in the past. I, I love the way that they are built because this team can really defend. They can shoot threes. They're they're built very similarly to what Virginia looks like to be honest and even though the analytics don't love liberty this year offensively they are really good scoring the basketball they're fourth in effective field goal percentage this year they have wins over power five teams uh thus far including mississippi state and south carolina earlier in the year who both of which they blew out and they had the ace on player of the year in darius mcgee who albeit at five nine shoots the ball 40 percent from three so for that reason i think that they are a tough matchup for Oklahoma State because they can defend and they can play small with them along with Blake Preston, who's been really good. So that's a tough matchup, but I don't see too many games being upsets. The worst game of the tournament is in this region, however, between Clemson and Rutgers. That might be the most unwatchable game of all time. That will be, like they say, first to 45. This one might be first to 30 with how slow these teams both play and the ineptitude on the offensive end of the floor recently. So if you're looking for an under, that's certainly one, but Overall, this region is going to be a ton of fun. Let's shift to the East region. This is the Michigan region. Number one seed, Michigan. Bama at two. Uh, Three seed is Texas, winners of the Big 12. And Florida State at four. This is a fascinating region as well, given I think it's wide open now that Isaiah Livers may not be returning for Michigan. But I'll I'll throw it to you first. What do you think? Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting because I was actually in Michigan around a month ago for that Ohio State game. And the feeling around that place was like, this is a championship team. And when I talk to the same guys today, it's not the same feeling. Um, Isaiah Liver's injury, I think it's massive. You know, he gives you 13 a game, but he's so much more than that. He's a senior. He's a leader. And I think he's a guy that you really need to come back. And it's not looking great. I think I saw earlier, it'd be miraculous if he came back. He'll definitely be out for that first weekend. And after that, you know, we'll see if they can even survive because obviously – St. Bonaventure, LSU, that's going to be no tough. That's going to be no easy task in round two. But looking at this Michigan team, when they were at their full strength, people were, like, comparing. They, they were above Baylor, right? They got to the number two. 
And I think, you know, they came back from COVID a little shaky. Um, they lose to Ohio State in the Big Ten, you know, semis without, obviously, Isaiah Livers. But when you look at Hunter Dickinson, I'd say he's probably a top five freshman in college basketball. I know you being a Maryland fan, you might have some strong opinions on him. But I do like this Michigan team. I just don't know without, you know, being fully healthy. I feel like it's a bad break for them. And, you know, we'll see the way the bubble – or not the bubble, the, the bracket breaks for them because – I could see them maybe getting to an Elite Eight, maybe getting to a Final Four. You know, that Texas, Alabama, whoever gets out of there, looks like they'll be kind of ready for them. But when I look at Michigan, I just – I wish Livers could be there because I think they're a completely different team with him. And without him, I don't know if they can make it out of the first weekend, if I'm being 100% honest. See, I, I see them getting out of the first weekend. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm just saying, like, I could yeah. I see a world where they lose to St. Bonaventure. You no, know, no, I, I get what you're saying completely. Um, I think it's – my thing with Michigan, and you mentioned Dickinson. I, I just he, – he's great. He just needs to keep his mouth shut, personally. That, that's my opinion <laughs> for Dickinson and get Mark Turgeon out of his head. But uh, he's a terrific talent, and he makes them really good because – not only can they stretch the floor because they have four shooters on at all times, but they also have a guy who's a dominant force in the low post, which can't say that about a lot of teams where pretty much everyone they put on the floor is a really good shooter and then have one guy in Dickinson who can just add a completely different dynamic to them because they can play through him as well. But losing Livers is just killer because he's so versatile offensively. I mean, you look at his size, he's a difference maker. He can shoot the ball from three. He can attack to the mid-range. He can get to the basket. He can really defend on the other side of the floor and can switch one through five if they need to. So th that's the really unfortunate loss for Michigan, and I, I think he takes – he makes them a good offensive team um, defensively losing him. They're one of the best in the country with him, um, and I think they need to be really, really good to beat a team like Florida State, who I think matches up really well with them because they're super athletic. They can guard in the perimeter, but they also have the size inside to handle Dickinson if need be, and they can change up the pace of the game against Michigan. So I think that's a tough matchup for them. I think Florida State's going to win, but my, my team to beat in this region is Alabama for sure. I love what they've done in the SEC this year. Nate Oates is a top five coach in the country. For me, I love his unique style and what he brings to college basketball. And this team just has a ton of scorers, too, in addition to the fact that they were second in defensive efficiency this year in the entire country. John Petty has had a tough year shooting the ball, but he can stretch the floor. Javon Quinterly has been one of the best bench players in the entire country. The transfer from Villanova, who was a former five-star recruit. Herb Jones, obviously the SEC player of the year, to go with their leading scorer, Jaden Shackelford. So they can score. They're balanced. But to me, it's the defense that's a difference maker for them because they're a team that can match up with a lot of different teams because they can play small and they can play big and they're really, really athletic, which makes their matchup with Texas fascinating to me if they meet in the sweet 16, because Texas is built very similarly. Like they have three guards that they like to have on the floor at all times. Brock Cunningham is one of the most interesting glue guys in the country for me because he can guard pretty much every position. He does everything that you want in a player on the floor. He makes a lot of 50-50 balls, 90-10 balls. Um, and they also have the size inside with Jericho Sims and then a guy in Kai Jones, who I think is probably the most unique player in the country, given his size and his ability to stretch the floor. So that's a fascinating matchup to me, especially with the way Texas has played recently, winning the Big 12 um, against a team in Alabama who's been red hot really since January. So I, I think whoever wins that game is probably going to go to the Final Four and I don't want to sleep on Michigan because, like, you, you talk about them even after they came back from the COVID pause before they lost Livers. I think there was a good argument that they were in that tier with Gonzaga and Baylor. But they've just gone through a bit of a rough patch recently. But the loss of Livers, is, it's just killer for them because he just makes them so much more dynamic on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, I think there's also one team that we're kind of sleeping on here. Like, you're talking about an Alabama-Texas for sure matchup. I could see UConn maybe spoiling some brackets here, um, you know, 15 and seven on the year, but with James Booknight, who we all know is their best player, they are, they're a much better team. They're 11 and three uh, since he came back from his injury, six of eight. And the team isn't just him. Like they have Tyrese Martin, RJ Cole. We'll see what happens with him. 
But what I like about UConn is they're kind of they're peaking at the right time and they're well-rounded in that they're not just an offensive juggernaut. They are really good at defense. They're top 30 in both offense and defense. And I think there's like a there's some stat out there where like the top team that wins every year is top 30 in both, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so UConn is a team that I could see. Obviously, they play your team in Maryland in the first round, which I think is a great 7-10, you know, compared to the Rutgers-Clemson. I think this game is 20 times more fascinating. But More interesting, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I want to go back to just FSU because I think they have a shot at the Final Four. You said you like them versus Michigan. I do too, even if Michigan – yeah, like I, I, I said earlier, maybe they don't make it out of the first weekend. I think they will. You know, they're still really talented. But I see FSU giving them a hard time. Leonard Hamilton, obviously, he's done everything but get to a Final Four. And I think this is the year you can. Obviously, you have Scotty Barnes coming off the bench. He's one of the best players, too, that comes off the bench. Uh, they have five guys with nine a game or higher, so they're well-balanced. MJ Walker is awesome. And I think if they are able to beat Michigan, I think they will be into the Final Four because I think they'll be rolling. And Texas and Bama or UConn, you know, we'll see there, beats up on each other. So I like FSU, but I do think this region is the one where, like, the, bra- the brackets could get busted the most because the one seed, I think, isn't the traditional favorite to make it out with the injury. And so Texas, Alabama, and FSU, I think, all like have a equally good as a shot to make it to um, the Final Four. If MJ Walker continues to shoot the way he has from three, I really like their chances to do something this this year. And it's so weird that Scotty Barnes is coming off the bench for me just yeah. because of how dynamic he is. I mean, he's a just six nine, two thirty dude playing point guard. I mean the the comparisons to Ben Simmons are obvious there. Um, he's not as good a scorer as Ben Simmons is, but he's certainly a super athlete. And, and they, these guys just have athletes. I mean, Raekwon Gray is a tank at 6'8", 260. Um, Anthony Polite is a guy who really is their only other really good three-point shooter um, outside of MJ Walker. I mean, Raekwon Evans can shoot from three as well. But what's weird is, like, they shoot the ball from three really well, but they don't take a ton of threes, which I think is big because – when they take them, they need to make them. And against teams like Michigan, you're going to have to make threes in order to win. So if Walker continues to be efficient and they get the production from guys like Anthony Polite, like Raquan Gray, and Scotty Barnes is going to have to be their second best player for me yeah. if they're going to do things. And I like the way he's played over the second half of the season, really understanding his role a little more there. But you mentioned the Maryland-UConn matchup. I, I agree with you about UConn being able to make noise. But I think this first-round matchup is fascinating, and that's not even me saying that from a biased perspective, being a Maryland fan, because I think it's two teams that are very different, contrasting styles. I mean, UConn, great offensive rebounding team, have a superstar in James Booknight who can really play, and they can play through the interior in Adama Sinogo. This is a Maryland team that loves to play five out. Um, They don't have a traditional big. Galen Smith has been the one guy that, has played on the interior, and he's coming off the bench. So this is a team that can really switch one through five defensively. They switch every ball screen. I think that's going to be really interesting to watch, especially depending on how they want to defend Adama Sinogo, because you have to think they're going to double the post every time it goes there. So I think this matchup is going to be made on the other end of the floor is if Maryland can hit enough threes to beat UConn, because they're going to have to stretch Sinogo out on defense if they want to and make shots. Eric Ayala, Aaron Wiggins – um, Dante Scott, those are going to be the guys that have to make shots from the perimeter if Maryland wants a chance of winning this game. And to, to me as a fan, like, I'm not even worried about book night because you have Daryl Morcel who can lock him down. My worry is Snowgo and how they'll get beat on the interior, especially against such a good offensive rebounding team. You meant like Snowgo, Tyrese Martin is awesome crashing the glass. And if RJ Cole's out for UConn, that's a big deal, but we'll, we'll see what happens there. The best first round matchup for me, though, isn't that one. It's St. Bonaventure LSU. Two teams also with completely contrasting styles. LSU being a team that can run it down your throats. They love to play a lot of isolation ball. Cameron Thomas has had an awesome year in terms of his ability to score the basketball. And they have a lot of guys who can play in isolation as well, which makes them interesting because if someone gets hot, that can be a problem. Like Javante Smart can isolate. Trendon Watford also does the same. And Darius Days isn't a huge isolation player, but he's a guy who can really stretch the floor with his ability 
to make threes as well. So for, for that reason, I'm, I'm like in on LSU, but I'm, I'm in even more on St. Bonaventure because I love what they do defensively. They're 17th in defensive efficiency this year. They're experienced. They have five starting juniors, I think. Um, Kyle Lofton is awesome, and he's gotten so much better as the year has gone on. And honestly, his ability to shoot the three has made St. Bonaventure a much better team in Atlantic 10 play. I mean, he started the year three of 30 from three. He's now 18 of 71, which is a big difference. Um, Jaron Holmes has had a spectacular year. Dominic Welch, Oshuno Shunia inside. Like, this is a team that can do damage. And this is a team that would give Michigan trouble as well. And I think LSU would too, which is what makes this matchup so interesting is because, like, you could see either one of these teams giving Michigan a problem. Yeah, the thing with LSU that I find is fascinating is, like, the isolation ball. Like, they just have their stars just kind of take shots, and, like, they don't really run a ton of plays. Um, so, like, if one of them gets hot, as you said, they could be dangerous. Uh, we saw Watford, he kind of he made some huge plays in that game versus Bama in the SEC Championship. They also have Andre Hyatt, who's, uh, you know, he's – I got some, per, I got some uh, mutual friends with him. He's a good kid. He, uh, he's, a, he's their best defender. They usually put him on the number one. But St. Bonaventure, too, you kind of took the words out of my mouth, like I'm in on LSU, but I'm more in on the Bonnies. And that's not even the A-10 bias in me. I mean, you mentioned how, you know, their defense is awesome. But also, they're top 50 in offensive efficiency, and they have five guys in double digits. You mentioned a starting lineup of all juniors. So they're, they're old, which is good for the tournament. They're experienced. They have depth. They have pieces. And I think that the Bonnies – will you know figure this out because I feel like LSU just if one of the guys is off like if Javante Smart is just smart is off or Cam Thomas doesn't have it being a freshman in his first tournament I could see some problems there so I like the Bonnies and obviously you know Michigan that's going to be no easy task for either team in the second round they certainly will give Michigan some fits you know we'll see what ends up happening there but I do agree I feel like that could be the most interesting matchup in the entire first round just because you have two awesome teams and they're so fun to watch. So that's, we'll see how it plays out. Those are the four regions. Um, let's get into our final four picks right now. And we kind of, I know I alluded to a bunch of them, but I'll go first for me. Um, we both have Gonzaga. I have Baylor. I have Houston and I have Alabama as well coming out. We talked about Gonzaga. Baylor, I think, is just the team to beat in that region. I don't think there's anyone that really matches up too well with them personally. And then Houston is my team out of the group. I'll call it the group of death. It's more of a soccer term, but that is the region of death for me. And I think they, the way they're built to play in the half court, to be able to win with their defense, and to have a star guard in Quentin Grimes, I, I like them to be the best chance to beat Illinois, and I think they do. And then Alabama, like I talked about, with Michigan at, without Isaiah Livers, I think the final four representative from that group will come down to the winner of that Texas-Bama game. And I, I think I like Texas' ability – not Texas' ability, excuse me, Bama's ability to make threes um, a little more than Texas' athleticism in order to take that game. But I, I could see that game going either way. But I lean Alabama right now. So those are my final four teams. Zaga – Baylor, Houston, and um, did I say? I think I said all of them. Again, Gonzaga, Bama, Texas, uh, Houston. Jeez, I'm all over the place. I'm going to start this one. Gonzaga, Houston, Baylor, and Alabama. Those are my four final four teams. Finally got it right. Greg, what do you got? Um, so I got to roll with Gonzaga, obviously. Like, it's kind of hard to just pick against them. And I'm going to go Ohio State in that second region. It's still up for debate, but I feel like Dwayne Washington could kind of just be a star of this tournament and be like a household college basketball name that we all remember. I mentioned earlier how impressed I was, even in losing to Illinois, because they were able to shoot their way back in it. And I think, obviously, a team like Baylor, who they'll probably play in the Elite Eight, the way they can shoot, they're going to need to shoot the basketball well. Going down, I have Illinois. Um, so, yeah, I have two Big Ten teams in there. I think just if Andre Carbello plays the way he's been playing, obviously with Kofi and IU, I feel like they are, you know, the safest pick to make it out of the region. We mentioned earlier how they'll have a ton of tough games, but I like them. And sticking with kind of a theme of the guys, you know, getting through for the first time uh, with Gonzaga and, you know, all these other teams, I have FSU 
Leonard Hamilton making his first Final Four, just because I think like um, only having to play one of Bama and Texas is huge. And I really am a believer that Michigan is not the same team without Isaiah Livers. So I think they will be able to beat them there. So my Final Four, Gonzaga, Ohio State, Illinois, FSU. I'm feeling okay about it. Obviously, you know, it's March, so things happen. But as of right now, I think I'm good with that. Anything can happen in March, obviously. So it's hard to feel good about any pick, to be quite honest with you. But um, you have Gonzaga over Illinois. I have Gonzaga over Baylor in the national championship. Um, You have two of the hottest teams in the country. I have two of the best teams, I think, personally. And I think that's where we kind of contrast a little bit. But, yeah, those are our final four picks. Those are national championship picks. Before we close out the show, I know we've gone a long way, but want to give you our best bets. for the first round, some good futures bets that we think have good value on as well. But, Ryan, I'll start with you. Let's start with our first round best picks. What do you got? So, yeah, going for the first round, you – I think we talked about this, Pusha. You don't love it. But I love Colorado. Uh, we didn't – minus four and a half is the spread versus Georgetown. We didn't really talk about them when we broke down the region. But I love the way they're playing. They've won six of seven to end the year. They shoot the three great, 37%. And they're a veteran squad. They have seniors McKinley Wright and Jariah Horn, and I think that's going to play with the veterans. And Georgetown, too, I just want to talk about. Obviously, I'm a Knicks fan, so I rooted, you know, for Pat Ewing and his where his jerseys in the Raptors to make a run there in the Big East. But I feel like they kind of just had a really good week. Um, you know, Marquette kind of dis- – they were a disappointment this year. Seton Hall was all over the place. They played an injured Villanova team which, um, you know, that's, that's a tough draw. And then Creighton, obviously, we talked about. That was a really impressive win. But I do think, like, the issues that Creighton has played some part in it. Um, so I like Colorado. I think, you know, they're really good. They, they got kind of shocked by Oregon State in the Pac-12. But I think four and a half is a low enough number where I'm fine with it. Um, you know, just going through the board, I saw this game and I thought, like, it could be close all game and Colorado just hits their free throws and they cover. And that's what it comes down to. So give me Colorado minus four and a half for Georgetown. Sorry, Pat Ewing, but I think your first tournament's going to end with a first round loss and you're not going to cover. I think it's an interesting game. Um, I'm kind of torn on who to take that game. So it's certainly not my best bet, Um, but we obviously vary in opinion right there. I have a few from the first round. I, I think my favorite bet is UNC minus one and a half right now over Wisconsin. I, I talked about them before, but I just haven't been a fan of the way Wisconsin has played this year. I don't think they have the athletes to compete with North Carolina and their front court. And I think they're going to give them a ton of trouble. And especially if Jordan Love continues to play the way that he has throughout the re- really the second half of this season. Um, excuse me, Caleb Love, not Jordan Love, sorry. <laughs> I, I think to go with their front court of Baycott, Walker Kessler, Garrison Brooks, Kerwin Walton, they just have so many guys that can be in the front court. And I, I don't think that Wisconsin's dynamic duo of Micah Potter and Nate Reavers is going to be able to compete with them athletically in the front court. And this is going to come down to if Dimitri Trice can hit enough shots, and he hasn't recently. So, I love UNC minus one and a half. I like St. Bonaventure plus one and a half too, just because I really like betting on defense in March over high octane offensive teams. An over under for you that I think is interesting that I talked about before Rutgers Clemson under 126 and a half. I think that's got to be a play just with how bad these teams are offensively and how slow paced they are too. Um, I, I could see neither team clearing 50 in this game realistically. So, I'll go with that as an over-under for you. I'll start with the futures side of things. There are a few that I really like and one that I think we'll agree on. Virginia not to make the Sweet 16 at minus 120. I love that play given that they're going to be coming in to the tournament a day before the tournament starts. They arrive in Indianapolis, and they're going to have to take on a really tough Ohio team, and then if they win – a really good Creighton team in all likelihood. So I, I like them to not make the Sweet 16. Kansas and West Virginia are both at plus 110 to make the Sweet 16. I like the value there. Same with Purdue at minus 105. So if you're looking for one there, I think Purdue is probably my best bet in that regard. Um, and one long shot 
that I've mentioned before, Alabama make the Final Four plus 350. I, I love the value there given the way Michigan has kind of limped into the tournament with their injuries and with the way Alabama has played down the stretch. Despite having some tough tests, UConn's going to be difficult if they win. Even Maryland is going to be difficult if they win their first-round matchup. And Texas is obviously a very difficult opponent along with what could be Michigan or Florida State. But I, I like Alabama to get to the Final Four, and I think plus 350 is really good value. Yeah, speaking about value, one that I love is Oklahoma State to advance this Sweet 16. They don't have to win the game to get there. And when you're talking about value, obviously you put, you put them on upset alert with Liberty. Right now they're minus 350 to win that game. So mm-hmm. Vegas thinks they're going to win that game. They're a four seed. They're a great team. And if you look at the second round game, they'll have to win to cash this bet. They play Tennessee or Oregon State. And Tennessee hasn't won two straight games since January. So I'm not going to bet on that team. They're, they've been inconsistent all year. And I'm not going to bet on a 17-12 and 12 Oregon State team who needed a miracle run in the Pac-12 to even get an auto bid. So if they just win those two games plus 145, I feel like if you were able to somehow parlay their odds for those games, you wouldn't get that great value. Um, I'm not worried about Tennessee being a five at all. So I like Oklahoma State to advance to the Sweet 16 plus 145. I feel like they're kind of destined for a match with Illinois. So that is one that really jumped out to me with the value. I like the value there too as well. I mean, despite my thoughts on Liberty, who I really like um, and give them a real chance to beat them, I'm with you. I think that is superb value given the way that Oregon State has played down the stretch. And like you said, I think if they get by Liberty, I think they're going to the Sweet 16 because I don't buy this Tennessee team at all right now. So those are our best bets for the first round. That is our first round breakdown. And we we gave you our national championship or the way we see each of these regions playing out and, I think that's a good way to end our first episode of 40 Minutes in Hell. Um, We appreciate you guys tuning in once again. From Ryan Gregware, I'm Jackson Heil. This is March. This is 40 Minutes in Hell podcast, and we'll be back next week to talk about what lies ahead in the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight.